money scripts. These are mm-hmm. typically unconscious transgenerational beliefs about money, and they are developed in childhood and they drive adult financial behaviors. So Makes certain sense. scripts uh, can lead to certain money disorders. So money disorders are chronic patterns of self-destructive financial behaviors. We know better, but we just can't seem to stop ourselves. They are a result of distorted beliefs we have around money based on our financial experiences. So it could be a childhood of not having enough, a lost investment, seeing your parents constantly fight about money, or having someone swoop in to rescue us or bail us out from some financial trouble. (laughs) These kind of experiences can lock our beliefs into place and lead to destructive financial behaviors, especially if these events were emotionally charged or traumatic in some way. Welcome to The Improvement Project, a podcast about dabbling in self-improvement 30 days at a time. This week, we are digging into how your past experiences with money can have an effect on your current financial situation. I'm Dr. Peggy Malone, a healthcare provider and human being trying my best to be better and encouraging others to do the same. I'm in London, Ontario, Canada, and with me is my much more disciplined friend, Jenny. That's me, Jenny Kaus, a marketing professional from St. Thomas, Ontario. I'm a small town gal and a big believer in the power of habits. I'm doing my best to whip our guinea peg into shape and hold her accountable to habit changes that she's undertaking one month at a time. I'm playing along too, and as we take on a new habit each and every single month, we're hoping to inspire you to become more disciplined, more consistent, happier, healthier, more productive, and just overall your own best self. The challenge for this month will be to track your expenses in whichever way you prefer as a way to get more intentional about your spending. This means keeping track of where all your money is going. You can keep track of how you're spending your money with an app or by using good old fashioned paper and pen. Jenny and I will be using an app called Mint, which links up to your bank accounts and tracks where your money is going. We will be committing to recording our transactions each day and reviewing our spending. We will check in as accountability buddies to see how our focus on finance is going. So... How's it going so far for you, Jenny? Overall, really well. A bit more manual than I would like it to be because my bank has decided uh, for my credit card to not synchronize with Mint, which is a bit of an issue. Oh, and that's kind of frustrating when everything else seems to work well. It is frustrating, but you know what? There's an upside to it. Having to manually enter those transactions definitely makes me more aware of them and conscious of it and kind of forces me to stay a little bit more on top of things. So there's that. I'll go on and just kind of enter those transactions sometimes as they happen, which I think is so convenient with the app. Certainly be more convenient if they just happen automatically. But um, overall, I'm really enjoying this and I'm loving the charts. I love seeing... You like the data. You're a data nerd. I love the data and I love seeing where I'm at and it feels like a video game, keeping track. And yeah, it, it definitely it kind of does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. And it makes me definitely feel very responsible and that I'm in charge of my money. Cool. Oh, and that's a good yeah. feeling, isn't it? I feel like that too. Yeah. So same for you, kind of get that sense of feeling in charge of it. Well, definitely. And I think the biggest thing is I felt proud of myself, like because I actually did sign back into it after all of those weeks of ignoring it. Um, mm-hmm. I'd totally been avoiding it. And uh, I went back to the very beginning of the year and I organized all of my transactions for the whole of these like January, February, March, and the first part of April. And yep. then I made a budget and I'm sure it'll, it'll kind of adapt as I go, just sort of as I learn more about how the budgeting tool works in Mint. But yep. it's a pretty good first draft and I feel really good about it. Um, and I, as I said, I feel proud of myself for doing it. And there, you're just exactly how you said it. There's something that feels so like... I feel so adult and feel like responsible for doing this. So it's great. 
Yeah, I think it's awesome. And it's, I think it's very, very empowering. Sure. I think that, you know, if you can be in charge of your money, then that can take you a long way. So that's great. And you think you would feel like a slave to it, right? And that maybe it wouldn't give you freedom, but it really does. Oh, yeah. Once you know what the details are, then you can make a plan and do what you want. Yeah, it's not it's it's freedom to do things, right? You're it's like we said before, it's like little permission slips, those budget items. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Good for you. So let's uh let's talk about money scripts and money disorders. 3 out of 4 Americans say that money is the number one source of stress in their lives. And the numbers are pretty similar for Canadians. Money is a major area of conflict in relationships and a leading cause of relationship breakdown. Many of us are not taking care of ourselves financially. We're overspending, we have high credit card debt, or we're not saving enough for the future. In many ways, it's fair to say that the average person is in some sort of financial trouble. So when I was doing some research on this subject matter, I found this awesome resource online. Uh, and there's these guys, they're financial psychologists, Dr. Brad Kluntz and Dr. Ted Kluntz. And they've done some research that shows that they can predict a, a person's financial behaviors based on the scripting that they heard in their past. Their website is mentalwealth.com. And I got a lot of my information um, with all of this from there. And it's I find it fascinating. And uh, Jenny and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording today. And it's pretty cool. So money scripts, as Jenny just mentioned that word, these are mm -hmm. typically unconscious transgenerational beliefs about money, and they are developed in childhood and they drive adult financial behaviors. Three categories of money scripts have been found to have a negative impact on financial health, money avoidance, money status, and money worship. These belief patterns are associated with lower levels of net worth, lower income, and higher amounts of revolving credit. Money script patterns can predict disordered money behaviors such as financial infidelity, compulsive buying, pathological gambling, compulsive hoarding, financial dependence, and financial enabling. So all of those things sound bad and potentially they could be in their extremes and we'll discuss those a little bit later. Um, but uh, the one uh, category they talk about in terms of scripting that actually isn't all bad is money vigilance beliefs. So this includes themes of frugality, discreteness, and anxiety about money. So they appear to be protective factors against poor financial health, and they are also protective against destructive financial behaviors. So they can encourage saving and frugality. Um, they can also, uh, when they get bad, they can create some anxiety that you could keep you from enjoying your money or enjoying the benefits and sense of security that money can provide. So it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of like this fine balance of when you're vigilant about your money, that's great. But if you're too vigilant about your money and you're anxious, it can lead uh, you to tip in the other direction. Mm -hmm. So Makes certain sense. scripts uh, can lead to certain money disorders. So money disorders are chronic patterns of self-destructive financial behaviors. We know better, but we just can't seem to stop ourselves. They are a result of distorted beliefs we have around money based on our financial experiences. So it could be a childhood of not having enough, a lost investment, seeing your parents constantly fight about money, or having someone swoop in to rescue us or bail us out from some financial trouble. <laughs> These kind of experiences can lock our beliefs into place and lead to destructive financial behaviors, especially if these events were emotionally charged or traumatic in some way. 
thinking about the experiences that have shaped our relationship with money is the first step to stripping them of their power and overcoming our money disorders. Then we can learn to identify our money scripts, spot them when they're creeping into our minds and challenge and change them into more productive beliefs. All right. So these doctors, Klontz, wrote a book and the book is called Mind Over Money, Overcoming the Money Disorders That Threaten Our Financial Health. So in the book, they talk about three types of money disorders, and those are money avoidance disorders, money worship disorders, and relational money disorders. So the first one is money avoidance disorders, and this includes things like underspending. So when we're so anxious about spending that we won't even spend money on things that we need and things we can afford. So um, I was watching a video of Dr. Klontz talk about this, and he said this is kind of like the Scrooge of the world. Mm -hmm. They just don't spend their money at all. Then you've got excessive risk aversion. So they're so afraid of loss that they sabotage chances of making money before you even get started. So example he gave here was people took their money out of the stock market after 2008 and just basically had it in cash or like hid it under their mattress. And they were so afraid of losing more that they didn't just leave it in. And if they left it in, it would be back to where it was now or higher. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, And then financial denial. So rather than face our money problems, we stick our head in the sand, we ignore our bank accounts, and we really try not to think about money. Then on the other side, there's money worshiping disorders, the pursuit of money or holding on to money or buying material possessions to meet our emotional needs. So this can look like overspending, gambling addiction, hoarder disorder, which is just fun to say, compulsive buying disorder, which is an addiction to shopping that can lead to major financial problems, and workaholism. And if left unchecked, has a huge impact on health, happiness, and family relationships. Speaking of relationships, the third category is relational money disorders. So these disorders emerge in the context of our relationships with others, and they are financial dependence on others, financially enabling others, And that's giving financial help that hurts both the giver and the receiver and Mm. financial infidelity, where you lie to your partner, your spouse about financial issues, or you hide your spending, uh, financial enmeshment. So this one is an interesting one that I didn't think too much about because I don't have children. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I experienced this with my own parents, but parents sharing too much information about their finances with their children, which can leave kids feeling scared and insecure. Um, so These are some pretty heavy things, potentially, if they got to their extremes, as I said before. But the cool part about even thinking about your scripting from when you were a kid or your past financial situations, and then taking a look at what it is that you do around money is pretty insightful. So Mm -hmm. Dr. Klontz has an assessment tool on his website, and you can find out where you might be struggling when it comes to your current finances and how it may be related to the way that you learned about money and how you were scripted in the past. So... um, I'll put a link to this assessment in the show notes, but the intro for the assessment reads this. Just about everyone believes the quote, big lie about personal finance. It's the belief that your financial difficulties are your fault, that they stem from your being lazy, crazy, or stupid, or are you're beyond your ability to manage. Well, they aren't and they don't. We've spent years consulting with couples and individuals struggling with money issues. If we've learned anything from that experience, it's that chronic self-defeating and self-destructive financial behaviors aren't driven by our rational thinking minds. The truth is they stem from psychological forces that lie outside our conscious awareness and their roots run deep into our past. A critical element to overcoming your money disorders is to get honest about your relationship with money. You have already taken the most important step, being willing to take an honest look at your financial behaviors. And that leads into this assessment. So the assessment has 53 questions. um, And the questions are about your attitudes and habits around money. 
Uh, and it's pretty cool to show you where you may be struggling. So Jenny and I both took mm -hmm. uh, the assessment today before we recorded. And um, it's got some neat questions in it. So I'll put, as I said, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line with this discussion is to see if you have any aha moments about your previous experiences with money and how they might relate to challenges that you're having right now with your finances. Once you identify your money scripts and the likely places that they came from, that new awareness of them is often enough to help you challenge the scripting of your past to make a positive change towards a happier, healthier financial situation. So that's great. This leads into a reminder, and that is to read Total Money Makeover. Later this month, we will be letting you know in more detail our thoughts on this book. And this book is by Dave Ramsey. Um, if you are going to the St. Thomas Public Library, you are too late. I already got it. But I will quickly read it and get it back so that if you want to read it, you also can read it. So please, uh, if you can, check it out and play along with us. All right, now it's time for a segment where we dig a little bit deeper into our personalities called Who Are You Anyway? We will take a question and each give our perspective on the topic with the goal of understanding ourselves a little bit better. We alluded to this week's Who Are You Anyway? question last week when Peggy mentioned her scripting around money and how it's affected her finances as an adult. We also just explored this a little bit when we talked about money scripts and money disorders. We think it's really valuable to ask this question because it'll give you some clues to why you do the things you do in your current relationship with money and finances. This week's question is, what are some things that you remember hearing about money or learning about money when you were a kid? So you're in the hot seat, Peg. What do you remember learning about money when you were a kid? So I remember a lot of we can't afford it. Do you think money grows on trees? There's a lot of talk about rich people or people with money as being other than us. Um, mm. I was kept out of money conversations or was seemingly brushed aside when I asked questions. I remember being curious and asking like, how much did things cost and how do you pay for that? And how much do you make in your job? And then they, I would get a lot of laughter and then just sort of like dismissed. Mm -hmm. So I feel like some of my, some of this scripting, which by the way, I should also put it out there. I don't fault my parents for, they were following their nope. own scripting and they were doing the best that they knew. Um, yep. But I would say that some of the scripting led me to be a bit of a finance avoider or being yep. in denial around finances. So when I use the assessment tool that we just talked about, um, it shows that I have some characteristics of financial denial. And we talked about how, about how I refused or was resisting to sign back into Mint as we were getting ready to do this challenge for April. So it's interesting that even now after I've done a lot of work, it still comes back that that's kind of a scary thing to look at and really get you know, I guess personal about my finances or learn more about them. So I really, I also mentioned last week that John and I really, when we read that book, The Total Money Makeover, the first time, we really had to dig into some of our, our money scripts or the, our, our past experiences with money. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that financial denial piece for me was a big reason why there was tears and yelling as we went through that process with the budget, because it forced me to bring it out and look at it. And of course, John has his own stuff around money too. So when you have two people that have had two experiences in the past that both have potential hurdles or challenges, and then you put them together and say, here's what we're going to talk about. It's not yeah. always going to be easy, but I really feel like it's worth it. I totally agree. Um, totally how about agree. you? What do you feel like you remember about learning about money? I This was a tricky one for me to think of, but in hearing what you're saying, it kind of brings some things up for me. Like it, It's just not something I – I think it's so deep in there you don't remember where – 
you know, sure. what you even think. Um, but Jeff and I actually had this talk and some of these things kind of came up for me. And I remember my family putting a lot of importance on being quote unquote good with money and not overspending. I remember there being a lot of talk around that, um, about, you know, really valuing being good with money and the opposite of that, you know, noticing when other people maybe weren't, um, you know, and I remember hearing my parents talking about that, about maybe other people being extravagant. Um, so that is one thing I remember, like my family was just very much about being careful with money. And I remember that being something that was pretty clearly valued, Okay, was being maybe I don't know if conservative is the right word with money, um, but I remember at one point my dad was going to get a custom license plate that said thrifty one. <laughs> nice. And I was a teenager. I was like, dad, please do not. He had already grown a ponytail and gotten an earring. And I was just like, I can't, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I just remember there being a lot of that, a lot of um, talking about being good with money and, and there being not shame, but kind of like a a definite not wanting to overspend. And I remember also there being a feeling that it was tacky to talk about money. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Where it was uncouth to talk about money, what things cost. I know when I've been somewhere where I've witnessed someone get something and someone will ask them, oh, how much was that? My family would gasp. And I now am the same way where if someone asks, say you get a new car and they're like, oh, how much was it? I'm like, oh, like, I can't believe you would ask me that. Um, so that's, and for some people, that's just a practical question. But because yeah. of your scripting, that brings up this emotional charge associated with it. Yes. Where money is very private. Gotcha. That was something that I think definitely was just, and it's a thing that you don't even realize it's different for other people yeah. until you start talking to other people about it, where it was definitely a very private thing. Um, I also, I'm, uh, I do remember there being some feelings of scarcity as well. Okay. Um, my parents divorced when I was a child and I was about nine. And I do remember, you know, a divorce is a very stressful time for a couple. You are figuring out the finances. And I think my parents were pretty good at not maybe over informing us of those things. But I do remember that kind of feeling of scarcity a little bit and money being a tense thing in that time. Um, so, you know, I, I just mentioned that because I think a lot of people who've maybe been through a similar situation, you maybe had, that's when you kind of learned about finances is when sure. your family maybe had a little bump in the road like that. So, um, and I know even in talking to Jeff, you know, we kind of, we both had, uh, parents that divorced when we were both nine and it's just an interesting thing to kind of see how that manifests for you in terms of as an adult, how that shifts your thinking around money. I think the cool part about this conversation is obviously I had my experience, you had yours. Us just having a conversation shows how different they can be just based on two different people. So every person has their own story from their own past about money. And it's not something that we talk about a ton, but I think it really does have an effect on what's happening for your finances in your current state now. So I think probably the biggest thing that Jenny and I can pass on to you listeners from this conversation is if you've never asked yourself this, like, what were the things you remember learning about money when you were a kid? And how do you think those relate to how you're dealing with your finances now? Maybe there's some clues. If you're struggling with something with your finances, you'll probably find that there are. Yeah, I agree. All right. So that's how we feel about money. 
I think that that is, and I think it's something that I'd love to talk about more too in coming weeks, because I think a lot of people don't take the time to think about these kind of things and why they think the way they do about money. Sure. And I think a mindset shift can be huge. But that said, it's time for what are you digging lately? This segment is one that may or may not be related to our monthly theme. Peggy and I like to talk with each other about what podcasts we've been listening to, what books we've been reading, or what random internet hilarity we found. And we feel like you might find it fun too. So each week, each of us will share something fun that we are loving, that we find useful or practical, or just something that is pure frivolity and fun. So this week, I'm digging a book, and it's called Becoming by Michelle Obama. A few weeks ago, our listener, Linda, um, pointed out that she had been listening to this book as audiobook. And I had heard about the book, and I was over at my mother-in-law's last weekend, and uh, she had a copy, and I said, hey, can I borrow that? And when I'm reading this book, I... Her story is amazing and she is just so hardcore and so hardworking. She just makes me want to be better and work harder. She is a neat, neat lady and listening to her story and how her world got sort of turned upside down by meeting this guy, Barack Obama, and then what they went through when he was the president and all the rest of it. It's a fascinating read and I recommend it for sure. Very cool. I'm definitely going to uh, check that out. Sounds really good. So (laughs) my digging is related to my learn. (laughs) And so for now, I will just say I'm digging non-alcoholic beer. There's several different kinds of non-alcoholic beer that are available on the market. And I think non-alcoholic beer is a great way to enjoy a tasty beverage without getting drunk. (laughs) We'll leave, we'll leave that as a little cliffhanger until we go to the next segment. Coors makes a fine product. Budweiser also does. Tons of them out there. Uh, feel free. Do some experimentation. Maybe it's a great way to enjoy a cocktail in a responsible manner. All right. Now it's time for you win or you learn. <laughs> Each week, Jenny and I will trade off during this segment to let you know where we did something right and there was cause to celebrate or where something perhaps went off the rails and allowed for a learning opportunity. These can be related to our journey as we take on new habits, or they may just be celebrations and bumps in the road in our everyday lives. So I'm up for the win this week. And um, you may recall, if you've been a longtime listener, that back in the fall, John and I did a six-week challenge at a gym where we went and we exercised three times a week and we followed a meal plan and we got into that rhythm of being people that go to the gym and exercise regularly. Well, then at the end of December, things kind of fell off because it was Christmas and parties and holidays. And then in January, I didn't want to join a gym because everybody joins a gym in January. And then we were snowboarding for the last couple of months, which really isn't like it doesn't really help with fitness because gravity does most of the work. It's very fun, but it's not super helpful in terms of improving your cardiovascular fitness or your strength. So after much procrastination, debate and avoidance, John and I are now back to regular exercise and it's kind of in a neat way. I found this online uh, program or community and it's called street parking. And the reason it's called that is because the people that started it, um, it's kind of clever. They take their cars out of the garage and put them on the road. And so you don't have room in your garage to park because you've got your garage gym in there. So that's why the company is called street parking. And the Uh, company, this company was started by two uh, ex-professional CrossFitters and they're a married couple with a small child. And they knew that they wanted to stay fit, but, um, 
they wanted to be home with their little person. So they started this company and they have a massive online following and an online community. And so for at least a month, John and I are trying it and we're doing three days a week working out at home. So it's sometimes like in the hallway, sometimes it's like in one of the bedrooms, sometimes it's in the kitchen, just wherever we can find room for whatever the exercise has to be. And so far it's been going really good. I love it. That's awesome. That's a really cool idea. And I love the name. Um, it's also cool because uh, as part of going to a gym, you got to commute there and then you got to wait for the warm up and then you got to wait for everybody to get organized and then you got to hear the, ex- the explanation of the workout and then you got to do it and then you got to drive home and then take your shower. Well, it's two and a half hours out of your day by the time it's all done. When you do yeah. it at home, you don't have the commute, you don't have the waiting for everybody. It's very efficient and I'm loving it. So hopefully we can stick with it. Yeah, that's a really good win. Makes me even more embarrassed about my learn. <laughs> Speaking of, Jenny, tell us what your learn is this week. All right. Uh, I came home from work uh, last Friday and maybe it was the Friday before and uh, I decided I was going to enjoy a nice um, beer. I was doing planning on doing some barbecuing. I was going to make penne with some sausage and red peppers and I was super excited. I had gone to the liquor store and I had bought an assortment of different types of beer I am generally someone who drinks the 300-ish milliliter cans of Coors Light. That's my go-to. I do not drink very often, uh, maybe two beers a month. So I I just grabbed one of these King cans. I started drinking it. I admit I am a very fast drinker. Beer tastes very good. So I was drinking it uh, more quickly perhaps than I should have. I went out to start the barbecue and quickly realized I was inebriated. Um, doesn't take much. I am five two, and I I was uh, I was definitely feeling it to the point where I felt like I shouldn't be starting a barbecue. <laughs> so I was suddenly felt very overwhelmed between trying to boil pasta, cook sauce, and operate the barbecue. Um, I was also a little embarrassed because like I said, I was functioning, but I just wasn't thinking clearly. I'm not used to drinking. So anyway, Jeff came home and I was, I was so embarrassed. I didn't even tell him. And he was like, he says to me, Jen, the barbecue is on like 200. Like those sausages are like, and I kept looking at the clock and I'm trying to keep track of the time. I'm like, these are not cooking. And I just could (laughs) not figure out how to operate the barbecue and I didn't tell him until the next day about what had happened. I was so embarrassed. Oh. Uh, yeah. I think so. that, you know what, every once in a while, having a little sneaky, like sneaks up on you, like <laughs> inebriation is kind of fun. And you still had some delicious sausage penne. No yeah. harm done. No harm done. So if I'd had non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> this is what brings us back to what you're digging. I'm digging non-alcoholic beer because boy, I love, I love a beer, especially now that this weather is getting nicer. I love it. It's refreshing, especially, you know, on a Friday night, such a nice thing. I'm not, I don't think I've ever tasted an alcoholic beer. Does it taste like, does it give you the same experience? I, I like it. I, I feel like it does. Okay. I'm going to try it. I want to, I want to get, I want to have this experience. And I feel that I learned the last, my other learn was that a king can is too much for me. Okay. I can't, I can't do it. They have those cold shots cans, but they're a stronger beer. And I wish they had those skinny cans in a regular beer or like, you know, the mini pop cans. Yeah. I need those in beer. (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe somebody that markets beer is listening. Oh, I can't <laughs> handle my liquor at all. It's embarrassing. I used to be able to drink two or three. And ever since I had Ethan, it's I, I have no tolerance for alcohol whatsoever. So anyway, I love that's story, my embarrassment. I mean, there's more to the story, but I'm going to leave it at that because it's just it's more and more embarrassing. And I mean, really, let me reiterate, I was not falling down drunk, but I had enough of a buzz that I felt uncomfortable using a barbecue. I'm not super comfortable using a barbecue to start with, but <laughs> gosh, it's like, this is not a time for propane in my life. Anyway, let's talk about next week and just move on from this barbecuing incident. Next week, we're going to check in and see how we're doing with keeping track of our finances and using the strategy of monitoring to wrangle our finances. All right. And that's it for this episode of The Improvement Project. We would love to hear your stories about what you remember from your childhood or your past about money. How do you feel that these unconscious scripts that have been passed to you are affecting your current financial situation? Get in touch. Our email address is theimprovementproject at drpeggymalone.com. Jenny is on Twitter at Jake House, and I'm on Instagram at Dr. Peggy Malone. You can always get our attention by using the hashtag The Improvement Project. You'll find all of the resources and links that we mentioned during today's show in the show notes at drpeggymalone.com forward slash podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and even show them how to listen to a podcast because some people just might not know. Also, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have a Facebook group, so search for The Improvement Project on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Now, go get to work on improving the most important project that you have. That's you. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay focused and get after it. So you're not going to believe what I did on my birthday. What was it? I, I didn't go on the treadmill. You missed the treadmill broke, on your birthday? Yeah. I broke my streak that I had been on since November 1st of last year. I was on a streak of 157 days. That's pretty fantastic. It's huge. And I mean, it's only 20 minutes of brisk walking per day, but it's 157 days in a row. That's pretty major. Like doing anything other than sleeping 157 days in a row is a feat of strength for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, eating. Absolutely. I eat and sleep every day. You And you do so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But Jenny. I think it's interesting because I mentioned it too, how bogged down I get by routine sometimes. So it's almost like a relief to like have a bit of a break of it and then like reevaluate and start again if you feel like you want to. Yeah. Yep. And I want to. Okay. But it was really difficult like to give myself a day off of it. And I realized I get so set on things when it's like a, I cannot believe how much I have that weird internal got to stick to it thing. Like it's, I don't think it's always a super healthy thing. Well, I think for most of the times in this life, for the way that human beings achieve and succeed in 2019, it's a pretty fantastic thing to be able to do and have. Yes. I guess maybe the next piece of that thought is to at least have thoughts about it or understand it. If you're just doing it blindly, then maybe that's when it starts to get troublesome. But you're obviously... I think it comes back to your word, though, intentional. Right. What is my intention?